Some of you are wondering, hey, who forgot to clean off the stage? We got reams of paper up here, all right? How many of you noticed the paper on the stage? Anybody? I know all you neat freaks notice that stuff. You're, that's what you check out. My mom's one of those people. She's checking out, make sure the stage is all in order and all that kind of stuff. No, we're not in order. I did this on purpose because elections have consequences for crying out loud, and I'm just going to make it personal. There's 500 sheets of paper in one of these. Hope I, all right, I need to bend my back. All right. <laughs> this is how many stinking letters I filled out for people, and I'm still filling them out on Monday because we have some slow learners in America. These letters were all designed simply to protect your livelihood because people in positions of authority were destroying your livelihood telling you you couldn't work, telling you where you could go, where you couldn't go, telling you that if you didn't get a shot, you were fired. That's called mandatory stuff. I told you that in America, the word mandatory should never be found on anybody's lips as it relates to decisions of conscience or personal choices over your health. And um, amen. And uh, so let me just say this. Now we're finding everybody running and waving the white flag. Let's just all forget about it. Don't forget about it. That's why we have national elections. Let's just all forgive. Yes, let's all forgive. We, 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 that is a biblical value. Let's forgive. But let's not forget, and let's not forget that when you have a position of authority, you're accountable to the people you're supposed to be serving, not persecuting, all right? All of you health professionals out here, you went from hero to zero in about two seconds flat. I'm mad for you. You went from hero to zero. All of you folks have said, you know what, I'm not really comfortable with my kids getting a vaccine. And you were ostracized from your school system, not to mention shutting school down for about a year and a half or two years. I'm mad for that too because there's people that missed all kinds of opportunity. All of you that had a loved one die in a hospital and you weren't allowed to be by their side, I'm still ticked about that because that is just absolute insanity. Don't you dare forget any of this because this is the kind of stuff we remember and we make sure, listen, you remember to make sure it never happens again. That's what you do. Now, I started a series last Sunday, a very important series, called America's Hope, Sovereignty and Responsibility. And I started with sovereignty because I, want, I don't want ever to be accused at this church or any of you to be accused that somehow we are placing an idolatrous hope in government and the government's our savior and that if we just get the right people elected, everything's going to go great. We don't believe any of that. And that's why I started off by simply establishing the fact that we are in covenant with an amazing creator, and he is absolutely sovereign. How many times in Scripture have you come across a phrase like this? I'm paraphrasing. These things must happen so that. These things must happen. When you hear the Bible using the phrase must happen, you're now stepping into the sovereign decree of God Almighty. In other words, there are some things God has ordered to take place that must happen, and can I just say this, will happen. 
How many know Jesus right now is seated next to the Father? He is ascended and on high. He is crowned King of glory. He's bringing all the nations under his feet, every enemy under his feet. And he's setting up the glorious return of his son Jesus Christ to rule and reign forever. How many know that will happen? Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That will happen. The fact that Jesus must be crucified was so that that will happen. So here's my point. What is the foundation of our joy and our peace in the midst of this life? It is faith that God's word is true and that as we trust him, the Bible says faith and joy well up in our hearts and it produces hope. Anybody need some hope, all right? So I'm going to smile right now. I have the tendency of getting intense when I preach messages that, are pa- that I'm passionate about, but I want you to see me smile right now. <laughs> this is the default of my heart. See that? I'm a happy pastor this morning, but I'm fired up too. But I'm happy, all right? I'm happy because there is faith in my heart which produces peace and joy, and I'm, I'm blossoming with hope this morning. All right? That's the truth. Now, I shared with you last week that simply trusting in God's sovereignty means that we believe what he says about his rule over the nations. And when you believe what the Bible says, it gives you a settled confidence and peace in our hearts that God is literally directing the course of history toward his intended ends and, his, and for his glory. How many of you believe that? That's why when Tuesday comes, my joy meter will not be vacillating based on the outcome of elections. There is a rock-solid hope in my heart that is rooted in who God is and that his purposes, his story will win. His story is all that matters. That's good news. Let me just, you know, when we come to the church on Sunday, part of what the Bible says is magnify the Lord. In other words, show everybody how awesome God is. That's why you never let anybody tell you, oh, you go to one of those churches, you're in one of those entertainment churches where you, like, celebrate. You don't really worship. (laughs) No, God doesn't get properly glorified if you're not celebrating his greatness. And it's hard to celebrate if nobody's happy. Oh, God Almighty, we celebrate your greatness. He's not impressed with that. He'd rather have you get giggly and giddy about it. Like you actually believed it. Sorry, I'm a little fired up this morning. Just just say, just, just say... Uh, Pastor, we forgive you. If I step on anybody's toes, I'm not trying to. It's just a gift I have. All right. Psalm chapter 22, verse 28. Read this with me. And Can you just get happy with me? Royal power belongs to the Lord, and he rules all the nations. That's Psalm 22, 28. There it is. That? Royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. I'm happy. My God is large and in charge. It gets better. Look at Psalm 66. For by his great power, he rules forever. God is never up for a (laughs) re-election. Hallelujah. Nobody can contend with him. He's going to rule forever. Better get on his side. He watches every movement of the nations. Every movement of the nations. Let no rebel rise in defiance. How many of you know these verses should inspire the fear of God in the hearts of every breathing person? God doesn't care whether you go to church and believe in him. That does not make these verses true or not. These verses are true. The question is, 
Have you connected the dots personally? And when he says, let no rebel rise in defiance to his purposes and his agenda and his plan, that should cause human beings to have a healthy fear of God in their hearts. In fact, look what Psalm 2 says. That's not on the board. I just added it this morning because I enjoyed it so much. Now then, you kings, act wisely. This is God speaking to earthly rulers. Act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. And then verse 12, submit to God's royal son. I gave you two examples last week of God bringing powerful, the most powerful rulers of the world to their knees. Oh, Ramses, kiss the son lest he be displeased. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, who spent how many years on his all fours eating the grass until he looked to heaven and his sanity returned, and he realized heaven rules over the affairs of the earth. Kiss the sun. Kiss the sun. Kiss the sun. Why in the church do we always bend over backwards, afraid that we're going to somehow offend somebody in government or offend somebody who doesn't share our views? We should be concerned about offending a holy God. We're worried about the wrong people. Now, listen, I'm not suggesting we need to be offensive. We should not be offensive. But it comes to followers of Christ who love the truth. Jesus said the offenses will come. He says, if you're going to love me and stand for truth, offenses, trust me, will come. We need to make sure we're worried about not offending one person, God Almighty. That's why heaven rules, and that's why our, our, our peace and our joy are wrapped up in an understanding that God is large and in charge, and he is moving history towards his intended purpose and his intended end, and no human being can stop him. I love what Abraham Kuyper, the great Dutch statesman and theologian, said, probably one of my favorite quotes in the whole world. There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign, does not cry, mine. Whoa, that's a power quote. And part of us magnifying the greatness of God is coming into face-to-face revelation of just how big and how powerful God is. So... That right there dispels any kind of despair, gloominess, depression. God's large and in charge. But how many of you know in a covenant, he also gives us personal responsibilities? And and here's what happens to the church all the time. We're either swinging to one side of the extreme or the other. We're all sovereignty. God's just going to do it. We can't do anything. Or we're all human responsibility. If I don't do it, the world's going to fall apart. How many of you know neither of those are true? It is a mystery that God is large and in charge, and yet he has specific responsibilities that he has entrusted to us, and he wants us to be faithful in stewarding those responsibilities during our time on planet Earth. And can I just tell you this? He will hold us accountable for stewarding the things that he expects us to steward. And so I want you to listen this morning because I'm going to talk about personal responsibility, which is simply humans acting in faith. In other words, human beings doing what God has said to do in the grand order of schemes while we trust him that he's working out his perfect agenda. Now, being the pastor that I am, I've come up with five P's of personal responsibility. Let's just say five P's in the personal responsibility pod. All right, that was another P. I'm I'm just trying to have a little fun. All right, so I help you guys remember The first P is what I call pillars, pillars. We must courageously live for truth. Now listen to what 1 Timothy 3.15 says. This is the church of the living God, 
which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. This is so good. How many of you know it is, first of all, our responsibility to be the church of the living God? We don't come to worship a dead God. Our services should be marked by the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit moving through here, which means people's lives should be getting changed all the time. We should sense his presence because we're the church of the living God. But this, here's where the responsibility comes in. The Bible says we are pillars. Pillars support things. We are pillars that support truth. Now, this is very, very important. Your responsibility and my responsibility while we're alive is to speak the truth and live the truth. Sounds simple, doesn't it? But it's not simple. How I many you know the culture we live in, led by the enemy in so many ways, the father of lies, that's the devil's name, the father of lies, his whole kingdom is built on lies and misinformation. But the opposite is also true. While his kingdom is built on lies, the kingdom of God is built on truth. And God wants us to know the truth and speak the truth. Now, it's interesting. I just want to remind you, everything we as believers are being accused of in our culture today is, uh, you know, like, for instance, we're, we're accused of promoting disinformation and we're threats to democracy. Can I just tell you, everybody that's spouting all that stuff, they're the ones promoting disinformation and they're the ones who are threats to democracy. Whatever you're hearing, trust me, from the media, which has become a mouthpiece of misinformation, is just the opposite of what's true, which is why they have very little uh, integrity and why they have very little viewership anymore, because I think most of us have kind of figured that out. We don't need a misinformation department to censor your speech. In fact, you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ with the Word of God, can I just pop everybody's bubble? We're the only ones that have a standard for determining what truth is. Godless people should not be in charge of managing disinformation because Jesus said your father is the devil. Well, if your father's the devil, guess what's coming out of your mouth? Liar, liar, pants on fire. You shouldn't be censoring anybody's speech if you don't know the source of truth and you don't know the word of God. Boy, there's something popular in our culture today right there. That'll preach. Here's the truth. Whenever truth retreats, tyranny always advances. Where truth is in the retreat, tyranny is always advancing. And can I just remind you that evil never retreats on its own. It only does so when it's forced to do so by a stronger power. Which means our responsibility in the face of lies and misinformation is to boldly declare the truth. Because if you're not declaring truth, you're going to be seeing tyranny grow all around you. And can I just tell you, I mean, I gave just this example, but the tyranny is growing all around us. And if you have eyes to see it, I mean, I, I, that, maybe that's a whole other message someday. Solzhenitsyn, who spent years in the, in the gulags of the, the former uh, Soviet Union, he said this. He said, the foundation for totalitarianism is an ideology made of lies. The system depends for its existence on a people's fear of challenging the lies. This is so good. He said, the only thing that kept the communists propped up was the people were so afraid of telling the truth that they simply stopped talking and they stopped, they stopped going against whatever was being said. Can I just give you a simple example? I'm going I'm to bring, bring to light some disinformation. A man cannot become a woman. Okay. Wow. Do you know that much of America agrees with what I just said? but very few people have the guts to say it. And because you won't say it, 
the tyranny keeps growing. And people being silenced and called names and shut down. Do you know that the wonderful governor of the state of California has just passed law that if you don't believe in certain LGBTQ ideology, like men can become women, men can have periods, men can menstruate, men can, men can breastfeed, um, amazing stuff. Uh, if you don't believe that, you cannot be in law enforcement. You cannot serve any, in anything with public in front of it. That, let me help you out. That's called tyranny. That's called tyranny. This, is a whole st- this guy is in charge of every citizen in the state of California. Now, here's what bugs me. If I'm raising kids and I'm living in California, I automatically have occupations my kids are not going to be able to get into if they stand true to their convictions about what they believe. So, here, so here's, what, here's, here's what everybody should be doing is telling the truth. Men cannot be women. We need to say that. Well, pastor, if you say that in my workplace, I might lose your job. Please lose your job, because if someone's not willing to lose their job, we're going to lose a whole lot more until we're willing to stand up against the tyranny. The great reason for the existence of the church, Christ's body, is to introduce truth back into a world that has been saturated and poisoned with error. And let me just say something. This is so important. There are pastors today who say, you know what? Those issues are controversial issues. Let's just focus on the love of Jesus. Let's stay away from conflict. The church should not be about conflict. We should be about unity. Time out. Anytime you're having somebody tell you that you have to let truth suffer for the sake of love, you have a fundamental misunderstanding of both concepts. In the kingdom of God, the coin of the kingdom has love on one side and truth on the other side. They are inseparable. They never work in disagreement. They always work in harmony. Let me just share a verse with you that's, that's very helpful. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6, Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Wasn't it amazing that many churches found themselves in this kind of awkward position? Maybe they prayed all their lives to see Roe v. Wade come crashing down, to see justice for the unborn, and then all of a sudden when it happens, many pastors couldn't even say it from the pulpit because they didn't want to make anybody uncomfortable. But the Bible says when truth wins out, when injustice is defeated, love wins, there should be a celebration about that. But we didn't, we're so confused, we don't even know what to do. Listen, if you're a loving person, you rejoice when people speak the truth. When you're a loving person, you are ticked off at injustice, wherever you find injustice. That's what Martin Luther King, that was a whole foundation of that movement for civil rights in America was if anybody's experiencing injustice, we all experience injustice. There's a sense of commonality that was rooted in being made in the image and likeness of God that gathered us together. In other words, we stood on truth and then we knew how to love. If you throw away truth, you don't know how to love. You got this syrupy, cotton candy, kind of ridiculous, feel-good love. It is not the love of the Bible. And if you're not willing to stand up for truth today, don't talk about being a loving person or a loving Christian. You, you got your head in the sand. Any pastor or any Christian 
that interprets conflict as something non-Christian hasn't read their Bible. Tell me something in this world that is truly important that is not surrounded by conflict. I'm going to say it again. Tell me anything that matters that is not attended with conflict. Truth is under assault. The father of lies hates the truth. This is going to happen until Jesus comes. There will be a constant attack on anybody who stands for what's true. Are you a follower of Christ? I'm going to say that again. Are you a follower of Christ? He is the truth. We don't have an option of do we identify with Jesus unless you're playing the political game. You're the one playing politics, not me at that point. You better know where you're drawing the line. You better know what convictions you're standing behind because God's going to hold you accountable for standing for the truth. He doesn't care how many bear hugs you get or what a nice guy you are. If you can't stand for the truth in the marketplace, what kind of a follower of Jesus are you? I'm just challenging us this morning because I'm telling you God's going to hold you accountable for living the love and the truth of the gospel out. A person who is a friend of love will always be a friend of the truth. And a person who is a friend of truth will always make sure that we communicate in the love of Jesus. I mean, you know, we don't have to be mean. We don't have to be nasty. In fact, we shouldn't be those things. We don't fight our battles the way that conservative activists fight. We don't call names. We don't talk. We preach the gospel. We proclaim Jesus. We love people. You all with me? And we smile while we're doing it makes the devil really mad. Let me give you a second P. We talked about pillars. Let's talk about pulpits. You all can be on ease right now because I'm going to preach to myself. Isaiah 56, verse 10. Thus saith the Lord. For the leaders of my people, the Lord's watchmen, his shepherds are blind and ignorant. They are silent watchdogs. They give no warning when danger comes. They love to lie around sleeping and dreaming. Wow. Do you know that the job of the pulpit is to be a watchman on the wall and to warn the sheep when danger is coming? The purpose of a pastor is is to discern the heart of God and to imply the word of God and steward the word of God for the season in which they're living in. A pastor that does not have the courage to confront the controversial issues of their day is a sleeping dog. And can I just say something when I read scriptures like that? I just want you to hear my heart. God, I never want to be so following the wrong path to whatever success is. I want to be found faithful. I want to be able to, in this pulpit that is a free pulpit, that is free to tell the truth no matter what happens. When I tell you that I'm encouraging you to stand for the truth, and I know that as I'm doing so in the marketplace, you're going to face some heat, I'm telling you we will stand behind you as a church family. That's what I'm pledging to you. I'm telling you we're not going to shy away. 
I'm telling you that our liberties matter, that Ray, we're singing songs this morning about our children and their children and their children, the blessing of God. Do you know if you do not steward the freedom that you have, that is not the future for your children? You have to steward the future. You have to steward these decisions. You have to fight for liberty. You have to believe that it matters. You have to get in the game. Now, this is interesting to me because when you study history, what I realize, and, and how many of you know if you don't study history, you become enslaved to the present moment? If there's nobody to compare yourself with, you don't know if you're doing it right. That's why I love to study the history of this country because let me just say this. America would not be here if it was not for the Presbyterian pulpit. It was the Presbyterians who understood government and connected the Bible with practical principles, so much so that I want you to hear this. Alice Baldwin, a historian, American historian, she said, the Constitutional Convention and the written Constitution were the children of the pulpit. Now, hear me. That means what she's saying is there's not a unique idea in our Constitution that was not first preached from the pulpits and the Bible. The people were saturated in the scriptures, therefore they connected the dots about government because they were biblically immersed. Listen to another quote here. This is so good. The ministers of the revolution were like their Puritan predecessors, bold and fearless in the cause of their country. Did you hear what I just said? Previous generations in the pulpit were bold and fearless in the cause of their country. Do you know what I would be called today? I would be, this, and this is a pejorative term, I would be called a Christian nationalist. That's, you know, when, when people on the other side of the aisle start making up nasty names for you, how many of you know they're scared? The nasty name for you all that believe you should love God and country is you're a Christian nationalist. You're a threat to democracy. No, you're not. You're the people that preserve the constitutional republic that we have. And they know it. So they call you names. And if you're a chicken or a lazy sleeping dog, I know that's not true of any of you. But if you were, you'd be more concerned with what your neighbor thinks about you than with standing up for the truth. The people filling the pulpits at the founder foundation of this nation were bold and fearless in the cause of truth. Now listen, it gets better. No class of men contributed more to carry forward the revolution and to achieve our independence than did the ministers. What happened? We're hiding in a closet somewhere. We haven't figured out we're supposed to be leading what's going on, not hiding or avoiding by their prayers, by their patriotic sermons? Sounds like a Christian nationalist to me. They rendered the highest assistance to the civil government, the army, and the country. You mean pastors actually had influence more than just blessing the chicken before a public dinner? I like to challenge pastors. We have so censored ourselves that we become professional chicken blessers. I almost get irritated when somebody asks me to a public event to come bless the meal because it's like I carry much more anointing than blessing chicken. Yeah. 
Any of y'all can bless the chicken. You don't need the clergyman to do that. When the British arrived on American soil, you all remember Paul Revere made his famous midnight ride. What's interesting is he was looking for two men in particular, John Adams and John Hancock. The reason he was looking for those two men is because they had a British death sentence over their heads. Why did they have a death sentence? Because they were fighting for liberty. And they were standing up for truth. Here's the question. How did Paul Revere know where to find them? Hey, where's John Adams? Where's John Hancock? Where would they be hanging out? Did he go to the strip club? No. Did he go to the bar? Nah, they weren't there. Did, he go to, did they go to the horse race? Nah, they went. They, I know where they, he's on their golf course. Nah. You know where they found him? At their pastor's house. The pastor's name was Jonas Clark. And when they arrived at Jonas Clark's house, Paul Revere said the British are here. And Adams and Hancock looked at their pastor and said, are our people ready for this? And listen to what. Oh, God, this is so awesome. Listen to what Jonas Clark said. I've trained my congregation for this very hour. They would fight, and if need be, they would die too under the shadow of the house of God. That was what the pastor said about the character and integrity of his parishioners because he wasn't here Sunday throwing out cotton candy to make everybody happy. He understood his job was a watchman on the wall, and he understood that if liberty was at stake, they might have to shed their blood to preserve it. And so he didn't preach them, you know, psychological self-help messages. He preached to them about liberty and fighting and standing and believing God and being willing to lay their lives down for the nation that was being birthed if necessary. Necessary. He said, I've trained them for this very hour. What a model. And I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. Pastors today, if I titled my message, this is Jonas Clark's message he preached a year after the Revolutionary War started. This is the most politically incorrect message you'll ever hear. If he, if he preached this today, every media outlet and, and most of the pulpits would attack him for his speech. Listen to the title of this message. The fate of bloodthirsty oppressors. And God's tender care of his distressed people. I'm going to say it again. The fate of bloodthirsty oppressors and God's tender care of his distressed people. That sounds like a message I want to sit around and listen to. When people are attacking your liberties, they are bloodthirsty oppressors. They might be hiding behind a certain Democrat-Republican label. Whatever political party they have, they might be a, a communist, a socialist, a progressive. I don't care the label. If they're oppressing you, they do not get a group hug. They get a rebuke. And you resist that. When we're mutilating our children under the guise of some of this gender bender theology that's going around, and we're taking off breasts and, and, and genitals in the name of whatever, 
You don't sit back and go, oh, isn't that cute? Let's just love people. Hey, que sera, sera. No, because you love truth, you hate injustice. And you do something about it. When you have leaders that are running on a platform that says, if you elect our party, we will pass a national referendum on abortion, making abortion legal through all nine months of pregnancy, including if the baby's coming out of the birth canal, you can murder that baby. You don't say, hey, que sera, sera. You say, that party is evil. It is wicked. We had a powerful meeting on Wednesday night, but I didn't realize we had some secret operatives that had snuck in from the Chicago Tribune. And I was minding my own business, looking up to see if there's any sports articles on the Crown Point Bulldogs and the great season they had, see if any of the folks from our church were in the articles, Clark Boys, Elijah, my son, some others. And I came across this intriguing Headline, church leaders blurring the lines between religion and politics. (sighs) And so I'm like, wow, I got to read that article because if I don't know those guys yet, I want to know them. I want to send them a friend request on social media. And then to my amazement, I found out they're writing about me. <laughs> oh, 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 wait, wait, wait. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Actually, to clarify, they were writing about you too. Because they, <laughs> oh, yeah, Santa, come on. Yeah. Yeah! It seems like what triggered them is that we were actually, we had the audacity to talk about a lane that they have written off as untouchable, sacred, sacrosanct. No, I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about government. Blurring the lines. Let me just clarify. We're not blurring nothing. We're making it crystal clear that the lines that have been blurred by those on the opposite side, we're putting them back really nice and dark. Let me give you an illustration. What business does the government in any of its forms have telling you that you're not able to come to church and sing because spit particles might fly out of your mouth and infect somebody next to you? Let me just help you. That's not in the government's lane. They're the ones with blurry lanes because they're becoming pompous and arrogant, and they're thinking they have the audacity to talk to us about worship. On Easter Sunday, the resurrection of our Lord, when we get a mandate from our governor that says, you're not allowed to take communion. Really? Thank you for your opinion. I mean, we respect you. We respect you. We do. We respect those in authority. But it's none of your business. 
to tell us what we can do in church on Sunday. Stay out of our business. I'm wanting to remind you of these things. Pastors are being arrested in Canada. We have SWAT teams in America showing up at the houses of pro-life leaders and arresting people for being pro-life. This is happening in America. Does it bother you? I know it does. I'm speaking to the right tribe. Yes, it bothers us. And so you do something. Now, I love it the way the press always tries to be biased. I mean, unbiased. I'm sorry. They're good at being biased. Unbiased. When I was suggesting that we should have a great event in our public school systems that would lead young people to Christ and take them off the streets on New Year's Eve because it would be a positive event, safe event, I actually had the school attorney at the time say, if we let you Christians in, we have to let the Satan worshipers in. What? What? How ridiculous is that? But that's, that's the mentality of the left. So what they did is they ran around talking to some other pastors. You can go back and look. I'm not going to cover any, but they uncovered a pastor over in, in Valparaiso. Let me tell you what this sleeping dog said. <laughs> this Valparaiso pastor supports reproductive rights. Do you know the, the word reproductive rights, the phrase, is a euphemism for murder. When a clergyman supports reproductive rights, he's not a man of God. He's a sleeping counterfeit dog. And they should be exposed. Let me tell you what else he supports. Mask mandates. I'm going to be good. Here's one of my favorites. He's against deportations from border states to sanctuary cities. Now, sanctuary cities are the false virtue, higher moral ground. We accept everybody illegally, lawlessly. Come in. Y'all know Martha's Vineyard? Sanctuary state. Come. We will care for you. So Governor DeSantis said, great. We'll send 50 or so up there, and you can care for them. Call out the National Guard. The most wealthy community in America can't take 50 people in and love them and feed them and care for them. You know what it did? It exposed the hypocrisy. And everybody, everybody's mad at him, trying to sue him. All he did was say, you want to be in a legal sanctuary state that flaunts your nose at the rule of law? Great, we'll help you be one. Hypocrisy, hypocrisy, hypocrisy. And when it gets better, Pastor, Pastor Sleeping Dog said this too. <laughs> He's supporting drag shows in our schools. Now listen, I don't care how you dress yourself, what kind of pulpit peacock you look like with all your gowns and your robes and your holy this and holy that. If you have an agenda like that, I can just tell you something. You are Pastor Ichabod. God, the presence of the Lord has left. Yes. 
That church is a disgrace. That church is an abomination. That church has a pulpit that's led by somebody who doesn't know Christ and doesn't stand for truth. Can I, can I just tell it like it is? Find a place you can go that loves the Word of God, loves the presence of God, and has a pastor willing to speak. Follow that kind of person, and God help me, I want to be one of those kind of pastors. Amen. I got three more P's to shuck from this pod, and I'll be quick. The third P is prayer. We must passionately express our dependence on God as we decree his purposes for planet Earth. Listen to what the Bible says, 1 Timothy chapter 2. First of all, I urge you that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and for all who are in high positions. Here's why, though. It's important. Why? That we, us's, may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Amen. Why do we pray for government? So that it stays benign. Yes. We don't want it to get cancerous. Because the goal is we should be able to conduct our business before God, work, raise our children, do what we do, worship, care for the community. We should be able to do all of this stuff without government interference. That's why you pray for your government, so that we can live peacefully. Because I told you before, government is going to be your greatest threat. Bad government is always your greatest threat to your liberties. So let's pray. Tonight, I'm just going to say this boldly. Jennifer Ruth Green was the one who approached me about having a night of prayer for the candidates, not just for her, but for any candidate who's God-fearing. And I told her, thank you, first of all, for asking for that. We do one of those nights on the Sunday night before every Tuesday election because we want to pray in the election. It's a good idea, huh? But what politicians are running around? asking for pastors and for God's people to simply pray for them. There's, this is not going to be any political stumping tonight. There's no, I'm going to vote for me, I'm going to stand for X, Y, Z. None of that's going to happen. And can I just say this? Any candidate who wants to come tonight, who has a fear of the Lord, I don't care what banner you're under, you're welcome to come. We're going to worship tonight. We're going to pray tonight. We're going to lay hands on every candidate who's here and we're just going to tell them, thank you for getting in the race. Thank you for running. I mean, you know, Tuesday, the, the, the outcome belongs to the Lord. But what are we going to do? We're just going to pray. And we're going to bless them. And we're going to pray for refreshing. We're going to pray for strength. We're going to pray for the courage to stand up for what's right. We're just going to bless them. I can get behind folks that have a heart like that. Number four is presence. We must boldly live the gospel while relying on the Holy Spirit to demonstrate. Please hear this. God's goodness and God's power. We're not running around a bunch of angry activists. We just want the freedom to love Jesus and love people. Everywhere the gospel is preached, the goodness of God follows. How do you know the gospel is the goodness of God? That's why it's such a great message. God loves people. God cares for people. God wants to bless nations. God wants to bless our nation. We have to be carriers of his presence. So listen to me. If your neighbor has an opposition yard sign... Don't put up an electric fence, landmines. Don't let your don't let your dog go in their yard. That's don't do any of that stuff. All right. Smile. Love people. When you go to vote, you don't have to give the evil eye to the person that you don't like. Smile. Love people. 
ticks off the devil, I'm telling you. Just smile. That is a weapon. Go about your business with joy. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Let's just keep buoyant in our spirits and keep speaking the truth and love people and let the goodness of God come out of our lives. Let me end with this. I saved the worst P for the end. Persecution. We must embrace the cross and be willing to pay the price of obedience to Christ in a fallen world. Rod Dreher in his book, Live Not by Lies, which I encourage every one of you to read, he said, today in our societies, dissenters from the woke party line find their businesses, their careers, and their reputations destroyed. They're pushed out of the public square, stigmatized, canceled, demonized as racist, sexist, homophobes, and the like. And they are afraid to resist because they are confident that no one will join them or defend them. Isn't that a tragedy? In other words, all we have to do for the kingdom of lies to crumble is speak the truth. But we won't speak the truth because we know when we stick our neck out, our head's going to get chopped off and we're going to be standing alone because nobody has the courage to stand with us or rally around us. How many of you know that cannot be our testimony? That cannot be our testimony. Listen to what it says about Jesus. Hebrews 13. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. I mean, when it says outside the city gates, it's because Jesus was viewed as unclean. He took our curse upon him. Jesus was not in the popular crowd. You're not crucifying popular people. Jesus was rejected. He was the cornerstone that was rejected. He would have been part of the cancel culture's, uh, uh, you know, fruit. Canceled. Don't believe the right thing. Not, not following uh, the law of God. Blasphemy. All the things Jesus was accused of. So they sent Jesus outside the camp where all the uncool people are, where the people who don't fit, where the stigmatized people are. Outside the camp. And look what it says next. This is important. Let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home, we are looking forward to a home yet to come. Can I just tell you something? Read saints throughout human history who have been willing when it came to denying the truth and being set free or standing for the truth and living under the most horrific circumstances, they valued truth over personal comfort. Now, let me, I'm just going to bring it right home. If you're working at a place where you made this comment, men cannot be women. And you know that that comment would bring you into the HR department and the wrath of your company would fall on you and you'd be written up and you might lose your job. I'm just simply asking you this question. Is Jesus worth it? Is he worth it? Because talk's cheap until it's expensive. (laughs) And talk's expensive now. You say the wrong things, it's costly. I'm just saying, are, are you willing, and that, that's such a little simple thing, are you willing to just tell the biological truth about men and women? Biologically, I mean, no, that's indisputable. Are you willing to say it? Are you willing to be sent outside the camp? Are you willing to get a pink slip? 
Just ask him. Let me close with this. Rod Dreher also said this. Please listen. This is a penetrating comment. He said, the self-seeking spirit of our culture has conquered the American church. And he says, I, I quote, relatively few contemporary Christians are prepared to suffer for their faith. Here's why. Because the therapeutic society that has formed them denies the purpose of suffering in the first place. And the idea, listen to this, the idea of bearing pain for the sake of truth seems ridiculous. If comfort is your goal and pleasure is your God, and you can go to a lot of churches that will feed that, why would you suffer for the sake of truth? What a ridiculous comment if suffering makes me feel unpleasant. Are we willing to go outside of the camp? Who's waiting for us? Jesus. Who's waiting for you? Your pastor. Who's waiting for you? Oh, here's some more living stoners out here. Sweet. Our tribe is here outside the camp with our Savior and with the presence of God and with purpose and with our integrity intact because we're not selling out and believing lies even when we know they're not true. We're not going to keep clapping. We're going to stand for truth. Will you stand to your feet with me? I want to pray for us. Father, thank you for partnering with us that we can have legitimate responsibilities in this life that matter, like today matters, our choices matter. Tuesday, it matters whether we show up or not. Tuesday, it matters whether we vote biblically and we vote according to the Bible or we vote according to parties or people or personalities. God, may we be found faithful. And God, may we care about truth and may we rejoice when truth wins. May we love the truth. And God, may we never shy back. Lord, there's way too much at stake. God, we cry out to you for America. We cry out to you for the church of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that the pulpits would burn again with fire. We pray that the church would be pillars, that together we would lock our shoulders, lock our arms, and hold up and declare the truth about Jesus Christ in a culture that's in bondage to the lies. Father, thank you for this privilege. And Lord, we, we don't say it casually. Jesus, you were crucified outside of the camp, on a hill, outside a garbage dump. That's what they thought of you. Lord, may we not be so enamored with what people think about us. May we live for an audience of one. And may we honor you, Lord, with all of our life and all of our breath until you come. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen. 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 Hey, have a great week tonight, 6 o'clock.